check. Make them little money, pay some bills. Yo, we neck and neck. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. Here's how the show works. You email us, ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. That's ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. And we will answer your question, possibly. And the people who could possibly do that are me, Peter Nicholas Dunn, and my co-host, Damian Andrew Dunn. No relation. He's the vice president of advice at Your Money Line and Hey Money. Welcome to the program, Dame. Hey, Pete. Uh, so we got a lot of stuff going on this week. First two segments, we were going to answer questions that people emailed us. Segment three, we're going to talk about the economic impact of the holidays. Like what is going to happen in the 2020 holiday season from a spending perspective? And then segment four, of course, is biggest waste of money of the week and the news. Hello, Pete and Damien. You helped me sort through my home buying conundrum back in 2018 Was when I was on your show as Raven in episode 291 of your podcast. I wanted to update you, and I bought a single-family home. It's from 1950 and has a three-bed, one-bath, 1,225-square-foot, two-story bungalow that I bought with $148,000 in New Jersey with a $1,010 monthly payment, including insurance, mortgage, and taxes. It's affordable for me. My mortgage is $114,000 at 2.75%. My boyfriend and friend are living with me So my monthly payment is only $330 after they pay me rent, and we all pay a third of the utilities. Three's company, four's a crowd. I I put that part in. Uh, My other expenses total about $400. I'm the only owner of the house. I'm now making $47,000 at my government job, which has been very stable through the pandemic, but I've been taking courses in accounting, which I should finish next year, and then I want to pursue my CPA. I'm hopeful I'll be able to increase my income in the future and be making significantly more in a few years in my 30s. I'm 28 now. Plus, with some side hustles, I make another $4,000 a year right now. Dame, this is, you know, my memory is not one that is considered to be good. But I do vaguely remember this situation from episode 291. Uh, My Roth IRA is up to $34,000 now, and I'm maxing it out. And my federal student loans are down to $11,800. These are at 3.5% when it's not a pandemic. (laughs) That's funny. Uh, After everything I've updated on the house, including new floors, a new roof, painting, and other projects, I have $51,000 left in my HYSA, which is a high-yield savings account, separate from my retirement savings. A one-year emergency fund is about twenty grand to me, so what should I do with this other money? After the 0% interest period is done on the student loan, should I just wipe them out. My tuition for next year is only 2,800 bucks. My car should be good to go for another two to three years. Yada, 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 yada. It goes on for another paragraph, but Dame, I think we have what we need to know going forward. So Dame, what does someone do when they put themselves into a brilliant housing situation? They live well within their means. They have an emergency fund. This person, Raven, as we called her on the show, is incredibly incredibly stable and you and I value stability more than anything these days. What is a person like this to do? Man, I'm still trying to wrap my head around having two years worth of emergency fund, just sitting there waiting to be used in a very beneficial way, man. Good on you, Raven. That's fantastic. However, you got some opportunities at this point, right? Yeah, it, it's interesting because the, the the crux of what we talk about on this show a lot these days is there are people who've been greatly negatively impacted by what's going on with the recession and the pandemic. There are people who have not, but don't have stability. And there are people who have not, but have stability. 
she is what we call a group three around here. And when you're in a group three, not only is it business as usual for you, it's time to go hunting. It is time to make, hey, you choose the idiom you want. It's time to go and uh, really take advantage of your stability. So there are a few options here for Raven. She could very well start paying down student loans as soon as this little uh, deferment is over with. Start paying down student loans. Get rid of those. Get rid of that albatross around your neck potentially going forward. Uh, That way you are able to take advantage of other opportunities that are coming forward to you. Make sure that you're going to be able to take care of that Roth IRA uh, for the foreseeable future as well. Um, If you get a a job uh, that you really want to contribute to the 401k or the 403b, depending on what field it is, maybe you could use some of that money to live off of and max fund retirement accounts through your employer for for that foreseeable future as well and and draw it down naturally instead of finding one specific thing to uh, throw that money at. So that's another option for you as well. The best part about this is you don't have to rush into anything. You've got all sorts of time and flexibility to take advantage of what opportunity you feel best suits you in the future. If nothing jumps up and says, hey, take care of me right now, you don't have to sit there, wait, and then take advantage of it when something becomes plainly obvious. See, that's the intersection of stability, flexibility, and the avoidance of complacency is where financial lives get really, really interesting. It is a good problem to have that, you know, you've got no one uh, barking up your tree asking for money. You, you've You've got no financial stress, really, and you're not going backwards. Dame, she added some other elements in here that I skipped that I'm going to add back in now because they are interesting. She said that she's not really interested in contributing to her 401k at work because her company does not match and it's a really high cost option. So that would mean to you and I that a Roth IRA would be continue to be a good option for her. However, on some level, yes, we don't like high cost 401ks around here. And and you know whether your employer matches or not actually doesn't really matter to to Dame and I, but uh, it is a more tax advantaged way to save. You do get tax advantage by putting more money away, what is allowed through the IRS. So if you exhaust all your other possibilities, that can still end up being a good thing. She does note that, and and I sent this to the team this week. There's talk of uh, student loan forgiveness as not only part of. Um, the current administration, because it's a it's a bill brought forth by uh, Chuck Schumer and uh, Elizabeth Warren, but the Biden campaign has floated the idea of ten thousand dollars of potential student loan forgiveness too. So, to your exact point, Dame, there's no hurry because if that is at all possible, wouldn't you rather that wipe out the student loan debt than your own money? So. Maybe the lowest thing on my list right now is to wipe out that student loan debt as she starts to look at other options. Yeah, there's no rush. You've got everything in your advantage here at this point, Raven. If you want to sit and wait and see what comes uh, to see if there's some relief that's offered to student uh, graduates with student loans, by all means, do it. If you want to chip away just because you feel like it's the right thing to do, I'm not going to stand in your way on that either. 
but you've got flexibility, you've got time. And to, to Pete's point, just because your 401k may be expensive doesn't mean there might not be um, less expensive options inside of it. So a Roth isn't going to give you that much power to save dollar wise. Maybe you could find a couple uh, cheap investments inside of the 401k and just sock away some extra cash too. It may not be the most efficient thing you've ever done with the money, but saving money now is going to pay off big time in the future. So a big part of the question though, too, is she's got 51,000 in her high yield savings account and 20 is designated as her emergency fund. She could theoretically move $31,000 of that to be more efficient. And so the question was, does she use it to pay down student loans? I don't think so. I think she can start to get into what is technically called a non-qualified investment account or a brokerage account, uh, low cost index funds. She could use a financial advisor, she could go to an online platform like betterment.com or something like that to, to begin to learn to invest on a non-qualified basis. And if I were her and I was in this exact situation, that's what I would personally do is probably open a non-qualified brokerage account. It doesn't have to be with all 30 some thousand dollars, but it can be with some of it. So Dame, let's do this. Let's take a break and pay some bills. I always hate when people say that. Anyway, we're gonna we're gonna pay some bills. We're we're not. We're just gonna breathe for like two minutes and come back. And we've got another question from another listener, and then the holiday discussion. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the Pete the Planner Show. Back on the Pete the Planner show, answering your money questions as it turns out. You can email us ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Hey Pete, Brian here again. I, I like we've got two return visitors. The show's so good. We have people email us back, Dame. That's fantastic. And I still haven't changed the spelling of my name despite the pressure you've put on me. <laughs> he spells it with a Y, and I'm not comfortable with that. My girlfriend and I, both 26, are currently leasing a one-bedroom apartment in Westchester, New York. Our lease is up in February, and we are starting to evaluate our options for where to live next. We paid a premium to live in our current 750-square-foot apartment at approximately $2,600 per month to be right near a train station as I was commuting to New York City daily. Man, I know what he's going to say next. I haven't read this yet, but you know what's coming, right? <laughs> yeah. However, my office has now been moved out to the burbs due to COVID. There you go. So I'll be working from home half the week and driving to the office the other half. This obviously changes our search criteria as we look for a new place. We definitely want more space given the fact that I'm going to be working from home. So I see our options as to either rent a two-bedroom apartment or buy a starter home, townhome in the area. All right, Dame, here we go. Brian with a Y is firing up the options here. Option one, apartment. I think we should get a gorgeous brand. Brian, did you have to throw in gorgeous apartment? <laughs> I mean, like, come on, buddy. I think we could get a gorgeous brand. new. <laughs> I can't even go on. Like the show might end. It's too much. It's too much. Okay. We, okay. Sorry. I think we could get a gorgeous brand new two bedroom apartment for three to three and a half thousand dollars a month. Although, after listening to your last episode about the eviction moratorium, I'm holding out hope that prices will drop in the new year. I think this would be a great solution for us, although it would be nice to have some more space and even a private outdoor space. Before I read option two, Dame, I, I'm all in on the apartment market getting shaken, the rental market getting shaken up big time in January and February. 
I did some thinking about this actually fairly recently. If we we saw what it was like 40% of renters uh, expect to have some issues uh, yes. around the first of the year. They're not going anywhere. They're, they're still going to need a place to live. So do you think this is just going to be this giant apartment swap that's going to go on? That they're going to get kicked out of one? And because there's going to be so much inventory that landlords are going to look the other way about people getting evicted if they've got the cash the potential um, new income and with just a slightly lower rent that they can afford. All right. So we promise not to get morose in this show until possibly the third segment. Well, that deal's out the window. It, yeah. Well, that deal is out the window. Here's two things that I think will happen. I think we're going to have a massive homelessness issue in our country uh, related to this. And number two, I think the issue isn't that people's income or financial reality, renters' income or financial reality will change on January 1st. It's just that they won't be held to task for it until January 1st. And not only will they owe back rent for these three, four months that they're not paying rent, but then they're going to owe next month's rent. And that's why landlords are going to try to get someone who can pay in the building. And so that's why they will evict people. It is the one thing financially that scares me more than anything going on right now is the eviction moratorium ending in January. You brought it up. It's my fault. I'm sorry. Actually, everybody. Brian with a Y did. Yeah. But it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Option two, townhome. A townhome in our area is going to run us at least $750,000 with 15% down, 3% interest, and rolling in taxes and HOA fees. The monthly payment would come to around $4,000 a month. I'm hesitant to commit to this monthly payment given the other unknown ad hoc costs of owning a home, such as maintenance, etc. I was then talking to someone who brought up the idea of going into an IO mortgage, given the fact that we do not plan to be in this home for more than five years or so. An IO mortgage, of course, is interest-only mortgage. The interest-only mortgage at 3.5% with all the same costs outlined would come to approximately $2,750 a month. So for this lower monthly payment, we could be foregoing any equity accumulation. The big risk I see here is that if property value decreases over our ownership. If the value stays the same, we pretty much rented the house and if value goes up, then great, we made some additional cash. My worry about this option is that the Westchester housing market has been flooded with demand since COVID due to people fleeing New York. Given that prices are up, I think it's a good time to go with the IO mortgage as our risk will be very sensitive to changes in the market. I definitely think renting is the right move at this time. Given everything going on, I would much prefer to buy something. I have a feeling you will tell me uh, the same, but maybe it will stick more if I hear it from the best financial literacy advisors Indiana has to offer. Indiana, my knowledge is not held by the state in which I live. I'm sorry. Dame, I love this question so much. How did I let that sit unanswered in my email box for two weeks? I think it's just something that happens. I, I know you've we've had a relationship for a long time. Um, so I hate interest-only mortgages with a passion. They led to the housing collapse of 2008 and 2009. I don't see, other than a, a cheaper monthly payment, any advantage to be had for them at this point because okay so demand's been great in westchester fantastic we just talked about a huge potential issue where you know the people are going to be not in houses and or apartments uh, in 
potentially changing demographics of entire towns and cities. And I would not want to be tied into an interest only mortgage thinking the property values are probably going to go up and we'll, we'll walk away from this being okay. Brian with a Y renting is the answer here for you. I, I think not only that Dame, I think he should let things shake out even past February and ask his landlord for a month to month at the end of his rental period, because I'm not sure this situation, he can't lose in the sense that he, if he waits to rent, it's not like the rental market's going to get more expensive. Um, The last segment, we were talking about flexibility and, and sort of the freedoms that come with flexibility. This has flexibility in it because he's, and he's not up against it. However, I think he needs more time to pass to see how things shake out. I'm not, February is going to be pretty tight. Does he have to move out February 1st or the end of February? Do you know? Uh, I don't oh, actually, I didn't get, yeah, I didn't share it with you because I'm a professional. I want to see if I can find that uh, because our lease is up in February. So that makes me think at the end of February, right? Sure. You think those additional 28 days are really going to matter? Four weeks? I mean, we are currently in a time where every 48 hours, I feel like we know more and then we realize how little we know and then it stretches out even more. I think in this specific case, I'd rather have the extra four weeks than not have the four weeks. I, Like you said, I, I don't anticipate there being some incredibly fast recovery in, in the rental uh, markets for landlords. So there's going to be plenty of inventory out there for him to choose from, whether it's a gorgeous apartment or whether it's just a moderately attractive apartment. My, my man is literally watching this segment live right now. And he I saw commented. you flash it up there. I was, but then I really, I always remember like we're doing yeah. financial stuff, so I don't want to expose people. All right. So Brian with a Y unfortunate spelling. Here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to your landlord within the next few weeks and just say, look, we understand our, our leases come up in February, but we're really just trying to get our options is a month to month on the table for any for any reason? Even if the person says no, that's fine. Um, I I I just the more time that passes, the better here, Dame. If the if you go to your landlord and they say, yeah, a month to month is on the table, but they want to uh, charge you a little bit more, don't take it right away. See if they'll just continue to let you skate on uh, what you normally pay because there's going to be inventory and they're going to need renters. Look at you reading that hostage negotiation book, and now you're the you're the big wizard. I love it. No, I, I do what I can. All right, coming up after the break, the holiday discussion that I've been dreading. <laughs> that makes you want to listen. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the show. Back on the Pete the Planner show, I, I'd like to pre-apologize because I am going to do the equivalent of the stores that have candy corn in their aisles in July. That's right. I'm pushing us ahead to the holiday season. I am human candy corn. Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, joined by Damian Dunn. Dame, so I've been thinking about the holidays this week, and I've been thinking about my personal feeling of the economic chaos that's coming our way in November, December, whether you share that op- uh, opinion or not, 
it doesn't necessarily concern me. You're, I, I don't think my holiday opinion is affected by my chaos theory of November, December. However, I do think the holidays are going to be an interesting time. People are not going to travel as much. People are not going to dine out and have big, fabulous parties as much. So that's to say some aspect of their spending that gets pumped into the economy will go away. The real question I want to know is, do you think, and you can assign percentages to these three groups if you find it to be helpful, will people spend what they normally spend for the holiday season in terms of gift buying and all of this? Will they spend more because they're so frustrated that they want to give their loved ones a enhanced experience at the end of 2020? Or will they spend less out of prudence slash fear? What do you think? I think um, 10 to 20% of people will spend less. 10 to 20% will spend less. Okay. I'm keeping track of the math here. 60% will spend roughly the same, which is probably more than they should anyway. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. And then the remainder, the 10 to 20% remainder will, uh, I guess it has to be 20%, uh, 20%, 20, 60, 20 will spend more to try and compensate for, um, school changes and, and sports seasons that were all messed up and not being able to see grandma and grandpa and the grandma and grandpa are going to make up for it by spending more uh, for their grandkids too. Um, it's, I think this is a season ripe for people making really well-intentioned but horrible financial decisions this year. All right. I don't like to talk about work on this show, like the work we actually do for lots of reasons, confidentiality. And Mm -hmm. the show is not meant to plug the work we do. And I think that's the worst radio ever when people do that. But I want to share a comment. I was talking about this this week on a live event that we do for our clients. and, And someone said, for years, I'm, I'm paraphrasing everybody. For years, um, I felt our family loses control over the holiday, our extended family, that we spend too much on each other for people who don't need anything. So much so that in recent years, my family has adopted a $200 per gift or per, per person minimum that you must spend on people in the family. And the question was, how do you convince that mentality that it is incredibly misguided? Who does that? I don't know. I I think you and I have seen a lot financially and we try not to judge and we, we certainly observe and, and we empathize with people's thoughts, but it, that's a really tough perspective to empathize with. Is it the, the J.R. Ewing's family in Dallas? The, the, the it's a timely family? reference. I, it's the best I got, man. I was trying to think of really, I don't know, it was, was where, where I went. Some 48-year-old guy's like, yeah, J.R. Whatever. We, we reach all demographics. Barely. Isn't that, I mean, so that's wild, first of all. I, I mean, I always teeter on, is it appropriate for me to say something is inappropriate? But that seems wildly inappropriate. You know, there's at least one member of that family that genuinely can't afford to do that. No for, way. For for whatever reason, whether it's they, they're in a bad spot or they just don't make enough money to be able to swing 200 bucks, whatever it is. And then they don't want to be there. They they feel bad. They feel embarrassed or, or they, they do it anyway. And they, they know they've got 
consequences they're going to have to deal with maybe for months afterwards trying to take care of this token of appreciation that, that they're sending somebody else. Um, you know, if, if they're lucky, they get a $200 gift card they can use somewhere else to offset the 200 bucks they spent on somebody else. And it comes out as a wash, but my goodness, that's, that seems a little, uh, contrary to the, the real meaning that we all try and find in that season. I think this year, more than ever, we need to account for the fact that people in our lives may be struggling and there may be some unspoken pain. And now is a good time to reevaluate your family gift giving policy, because there are people in your extended family who are struggling and they they just don't want to tell you. And there are people in your family who are struggling and they don't actually realize they're struggling. And you could be doing them a huge huge favor by taking that pressure off of them. I, for all, I mean, for what it's worth and believe me, this comment's worth nothing. I, I've been a proponent for a very long time within our, my own extended family. I said our, like we're related, but we're not my own extended family. Like I, I don't, don't buy me anything. Like I don't, I don't want anything primarily cause I'm picky and I don't want to return it. But I, I don't know, Dame. I, I think there's so many people that are going to be in pain this holiday season. Think about this different churches and whatnot adopt families for, for Christmas and, you know, they, the gift giving trees and all these sorts of things. I saw something the other day, 50 million family, 50 million people in the United States are receiving food assistance right now. So what, what are, what are those gift giving trees looking like? And I know it's early. I mean, it's mid September and we're in this conversation, but I think it's going to be a wild, wild holiday season and I'm almost nervous that if retailers are able to do normal numbers, that would actually make me sad. I was just about to say, if we're having this conversation now, you know, retailers have been talking about it for, oh, three, four, six months at this point, trying to figure out how they're going to deal with the ramifications, because this is where they make the bank. This is where they, they have a good year or not. And if people can't spend money or shouldn't spend money and don't, um, they're in trouble. And so they're going to be throwing everything they can at the wall to try and tempt every dollar out of your wallet that they can in order to make a good year happen for them. So uh, it's it's going to be really challenging this this winter for a number of families to do the financially right thing and just keep things conservative this year with your gift giving. I, I think families got to start having that conversation now of to try to find what's the best way as a family we can find meaning in this holiday season to find that comfort that we always look for that doesn't involve hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of exchanged gifts. Um, you know, Jameson, who's uh, watching along on Facebook, brings up a point I was about to bring up. There's a lot of retailers that have already said they're closing for Thanksgiving and Black Friday this year, Simon Malls announced that they're staying closed for Thanksgiving. Uh, I believe Home Deep. I don't want to start naming these because I don't want to be wrong, but I know Simon Mall had a, a policy around that. I, I think any back to retailers for a second. Any retailer that does not have a robust e-commerce plan in place right now for year end better be working twenty four hours a day to do it because I think brick and mortar retailers, especially small gift shops. Oh man, I'm getting upset. I should have done this. 
the local the local stores that that kind of give your hometown the the little bit of culture that it, that it may have i'm feeling bad for them already i mean the, the, if you are looking for if you are in a position where you can uh, spend a little bit of money on on gifts this year is a fantastic time to try and figure out how to spend that money locally because those people are going to need it and your town's going to need it so look uh local first for sure i mean we we often joke that every day seems like it's got a name after thanksgiving you know black friday and small business saturday and, and going think local Dame, I know that I've taken us into a dark place with this segment, but I'm going to try to redeem myself by possibly publicly announcing here today that I'm considering buying you a share of a racehorse this year for Christmas so that you may benefit from its procreation. Coming up after the break, biggest waste of money of the week and the news right here on the Pete the Planner Show. I'm Pete the Planner. This week's biggest waste of money of the week, the Boam, right here on the Pete the Planner Show, is the Comet Nightstand. The Comet Nightstand. Here's what that means, Dame. It means that people can purchase a nightstand that's got all sorts of stuff involved with it. Once reserved for nothing more than a book and a drink, nightstands have become catch-alls for everything from gadgets and remotes to bedroom essentials. The Comet acknowledges this and packs in features to meet modern demands. It has an integrated touchscreen on top to control common smart home features, as well as a QI-enabled wireless charging top surface. Rotate the top over, and you'll find a split chamber with an internal cooler for beverages on one side and a storage area on the other. Motion-sense-activated ambient lighting makes stubbed toes a thing of the past and built-in bluetooth speakers let you play music in the bedroom without it looking like a recording studio so dame there you have it the comet nightstand thoughts pointless yes absolutely pointless and do you know how much it's going to cost you to be pointless 349 dollars a really good guess. You're wrong. Four hundred and ninety nine dollars. Four hundred ninety nine dollars is the answer. Yeah. Why do you need a cooler next to your bed? I don't. I don't get it. Unless you put like pillowcases in there, so you always have a cold pillow. Ooh, oh, that, I mean, now that's genius. That's not bad. Uh, Dame, this week in current events, there's a lot going on in the financial world this week, uh, and most of the current events that our team put together for this week. They're not great, including Dave and Buster's sinks 26% this week on bank's bankruptcy threat. Damn, it's really hard to go play pop a shot and ski ball with your kids when, well, that area seems ripe for the spread of a pandemic, no? This is a business that was destined to suffer in, in times of pandemic. You can't take your kids. Even as bad as you might want to enjoy that $10 domestic draft at the bar while your, your kids are off running around, just not going to happen. So yeah, Dave and Buster's fun place. Not a great business model right now. My son loves Dave and Buster's. I took TD to uh, Dave and Buster's last time he and I were in Indy and he doesn't uh, stop asking when 
we can go back because as far as he's concerned, it's just on the other side of Fort Wayne. So, you know, in other sad news uh, and our, our good friend Gold Star Gale brings this one up and it's something I I've sort of thought about, but I haven't let my mind go there yet. But man, as always, she's right. Americans rack up $45 billion worth of medical debt in collections. And coming out of this period of time where people are losing jobs, losing benefits, their benefits change to a lesser type of care. So then they have more out-of-pocket costs themselves, which they can't pay. Dame, of all the other emergencies we're dealing with, the medical debt catastrophe of 2020 is well on its way when you are faced with some really tough decisions, um, you know, keep the lights on, pay your hospital bill. uh, You're going to keep the lights on. It's natural for these, these types of debts to fall to the bottom of the totem pole when income is limited. So yeah, you're exactly right. Things change, plans change, coverage changes. You get sick, you get hurt, you got to go get it taken care of, but there's no way to take care to, to pay for the bill. So is just another way that uh, Americans are being forced into an absolutely horrible, untenable position. And hopefully there's some kind of solution, some kind of assistance that we can get uh, through uh, through some legislative efforts for this because uh, a lot of these debts are going to absolutely crush families. You know, I think one of the big challenges going forward, if there is some semblance of relief, just in the way the eviction moratorium creates a, a degree of relief, Dame. Unless there's money on the line from the government to make the other party whole, then then is it relief? Because then it's just making it someone else's problem. Jameson's right on Facebook, by the way. We're slipping back into the Pete the Downer show. I know, I know, but it's the reality of the times. That's so true, Dame. You know, I I came across a tweet that uh, a tweet thread that I put out in early March and and I wanted to go through it now because it was an attempt to paint the picture of what's going to happen going forward. So this was on March 14th of 2020 on March 16th was the day most people remember as, Oh my God, this is real. Just so you know, Monday, March 16th was the day most people were working from home and it was all very real. So here's the th- I'm quote quote uh, quoting myself my own Twitter thread here. I-, I hate to do this on a Saturday, but I'm not quite sure people understand how much trouble the economy is in. To begin, all these canceled events lead to canceled hotels, flights, meals, etc. You know this, but you may not realize the tax revenue generated from these things. So not only are workers in the hospitality and travel industry struggling, but so will the municipalities which depend on the tax revenue those generate industries generate. This means either local governments will have to make giant cuts or go deeper into debt. Additionally, consumer confidence has plummeted. No one is out car shopping, hanging out at the malls, or buying anything other than consumables and homes, by the way, but that is an addendum. This lack of sales tax is also a problem and exacerbates the problem. Hiring and spending freezes have already began at both small and large businesses as we get closer to new college grads flooding the job market in May. Usually these grads rely on hourly uh, hospitality or gig economy wages when they can't find work in their area of study. Those jobs and gigs currently do not exist and won't exist for some time. First student loan payments for new college grads are typically due six months after graduation. As you can imagine, the math and timing there is a problem. 
Pension funds and endowments rely heavily on yield from T-bills and corporate bonds, which are currently experiencing brutally low rates. This means pension systems could fail even more than usual, and university endowments could suffer, thus increasing the cost of college. Yes, I'm concerned about the virus and its impact on humanity, but the economic impact of this period in history is still being widely ignored. Buy all the TP you want, yet if you're not spending time putting together a plan for financial preparedness, you're going to get swallowed whole. Dame, that was on March 14th. Holy moly, buddy. Yeah, you you did a nice job with that one. And by nice, I mean horribly accurate. Uh, okay, can we, I, I know we're, we're in a downer place right now and we have two minutes left in the show, but I, I do, and you and I, you and I have not got to talk much this week, which is actually the worst part of my week. You and I have talked once prior to the show today, which makes me upset. That's my fault, by the way. Where are you on this November, December economy catastrophe thing? Do, do you do you buy my theory? Do you understand my theory? I think so. Okay. I I tend to agree with you that things are going to get really tight. Uh, like we we saw this again uh, the beginning of the, when this all started in March that there's a group of people largely untouched but a, a bigger group of people that really felt it. Unfortunately, that's going to re- replay itself uh, the way I see it coming in November, December, January, February. There's still going to be a group of people that are going to kind of skate through this relatively unscathed, but the same people that just took it in the chops earlier this year, it's going to happen all over again, and they are going to get it twice in a 12-month period. I do have a small piece of good news, maybe. it's not. It's not news. It's just a prediction. I do think... Whereas the last several weeks, I thought there's no way there's going to be another stimulus bill. I've I've gone back the other way. I think there will be a degree of stimulus. So whether it helps the average family afford to receive another $3,400, I don't really know. But part of that stimulus plan, if it does happen, will include additional enhanced unemployment benefits, which makes me feel really good for the people suffering. Um, yeah, mo- most of my apprehension about the economy in November, December revolve around the election not about who gets elected. And and I don't want to say I don't care about that one way or the other, but I don't think that impacts where the market goes. I think it's going to be the uncertainty of who the winner is. Uh, That is not great for the market or the economy or anything in general. Let's, let's end the show with something positive. Um, Damien, um, on my, my smart scale that gives me all the stats about myself, it now says I'm a year younger than it said I was last week, but it still has me a year older than I actually am. That's all we have time for this show and this week. I'm Pete the Planner. Thank you for listening. See you next week.